Ashley Brock, reading Diane Palmer's book, Callian's Bride, Chapter 3. Everything would have been absolutely fine, except that she forgot to take the necklace off the next morning and the brothers gave her a hard time over breakfast. That, in turn, embarrassed Cag, who stomped out without a second cup of coffee, glaring at Tess as if she'd been responsible for the whole thing. They apologized when they realized that they just made a bad situation worse, but as the day went on, she wondered if she shouldn't have left the necklace in its box in her chest of drawers. It had seemed, uh, seemed to irritate Cag that she wanted to wear it. The beautiful thing was so special that she could hardly get past mirrors. She loved just looking at it. Her mom was so preoccupied with her presence that she didn't pay close attention to the big aquarium in Cag's room when she went to make the bed. And that was a mistake. She was bending over to pull up the multicolored Navajo pattern comforter on the big four-poster bed when she heard a faint noise. The next thing she knew, she was wearing Herman the python around her neck. The weight of Herman the huge reptile buckled her knees. Herman weighed more than she did by about ten pounds. She screamed and wrestled, and the harder she struggled, the harder an equally frightened Herman held on, certain that he was going to hit the floor bouncing if he relaxed his clinch one bit. Leo came running, but he stopped at the doorway. No snake lover. He hadn't the faintest idea how to extract their housekeeper from the scaly embrace she was being subjected to. Get Cag, she squealed, pulling at Herman's coat. Hurry, before he eats me. He won't eat you, Leo promised from a pale face. He only eats fries, freeze-dried dead things with fur, honest. Cag's at the curl. We were just right, going right out to the line camp, back in a jiffy. Stomping feet ran down the hall. Torturous minutes later, heavier, heavier stomping feet ran back again. Tess was kneeling with a huge reptile wrapped around her, his head anchored over her so that she looked as if she might be wearing a snaky headdress. Herman, for Pete's sake, Cagrid, how did he get out this time? Could you possibly question him after you've got him off me? She heard, he weighs a ton. There, there, he said gently, because he knew how frightened she was of Herman. He approached him slowly, careful not to spook his pet. He smoothed his big hand under the snake's chin and stroked him gently, soothing him as he spoke softly, all the time gently unwinding him from Tess's stooped shoulders. When he had him completely free, he walked back to the aquarium and scrawled as he peered at the lid, which was ajar. Maybe... He's got a crowbar in there, he murmured, shifting Herman's formidable weight until he could release the other catches enough to lift the lid from the tank. I don't know why he keeps climbing out. How would you like to live in a room three times your size with no playmates? She muttered, rubbing her aching shoulders. He sprained both my shoulders and probably cracked part of my spine. He fell on me. He put Herman in the tank and locked the lid behind her. Fell, he scrapped from where? There? She gestured toward one of the white old sculptured posts that graced his king-sized bed. He whispered, he hasn't gone climbing in a while. He moved a little closer to her, and his black eyes narrowed. You okay? I told you, she murmured. I've got fractured bones everywhere, he smiled gently. Sore muscles, more likely. His eyes were quizzically soft. You weren't really scared, were you? She hesitated. Then she smiled back just faintly. Well, no, not really. I've sort of gotten used to him, she shrugged. He feels nice, like a thick silk scarf. <laughs> Cag didn't say a word. He just stood there looking at her with a sort of funny smile. 
I thought they were slimy. <laughs> the small one. Most people do until they touch one. Snakes are clean. They aren't generally violent unless they're provoked or unless they're shedding or they're just eating. Half the work is knowing when not to pick them up. He took off his hat and ran a hand through his thick hair. I've had Herman for 12 years. He had, he's like family, although most people don't understand that you can have affection for a snake. <laughs> she studied his hard face, remembering that his former fiance insisted that he got rid of Herman. Even if he loved a woman, it would be hard for him to give up a much-loved pet. I used to have an iguana, she said, when I was about 12. One of the guys at the rodeo had it with him, and he was going off to college. He asked, would I like him? She smiled reminiscently. He was green and huge, like some prehistoric creature, like a real live dragon. He liked shredded squash and bananas, and he let you hold him. When you petted him on the head, he'd close his eyes and raise his chin. I had him for three years. What happened? He just died. She said, I never knew why. The vet said that it couldn't have see a thing wrong with him and that I've done everything right by the book to keep him healthy. We could have had him off top seed, but Dad didn't have the money to pay for it. He was pretty old when I got him. I like to think it was just his time and nothing, not anything I did wrong. Sometimes pets do just die. He was looking at Herman, curled up happily in his tank and looking angelic in his snaky fashion. Look at him, he muttered. Doesn't look like he's ever thought of escaping, does he? I still remember when I opened up the washing machine to do clothes and I found him curled inside. I almost quit on the spot. You've come a long way since then, he had to admit. His eyes went to the blue and white spackle of the necklace and he stared at it. I'm sorry, she mumbled, wrapping her hand around again. I never should have worn it around your brothers, but it's so lovely. It's like wearing a piece of the sky around my neck. I'm glad you like it, he said gruffly. Wear it all you like. They'll find something else to harp on in a day or so. I didn't think they'd notice, he cocked an eyebrow. I haven't bought a present for a woman in almost seven years, he said shortly. It's noteworthy around here, despite my intentions. Her face got, oh, I know it was just for my birthday, she said quickly. You work hard enough to deserve a treat now and again. He returned impatiently. You sure you're not, you're sure you're okay? She nodded. A little thing like a broken back won't slow me down, he glowered at her. He only weighs 110 pounds. Yeah, well, I only weigh a hundred. His eyes went over her suddenly. It lost weight. You said that before, but I haven't. I've always been thin. Eight more. Her eyebrows were. I'll eat what I like, thank you. He made a rough sound in his throat. And where are those new clothes we've been trying to get you to buy? I don't want any more clothes. I have plenty of clothes. Plenty of the devil, he muttered angrily. You'll go into town tomorrow and get some new jeans and shirts. Got that? She lifted her chin suddenly. I will not. Listen here. I may work for you, but you don't tell me what I can wear. He stared at her for a minute with narrow eyes. On second thought, he muttered, moving toward her. Why wait until tomorrow? And like hell, I can't tell you what to wear. Caligan? She shrieked, protesting. By the time she got his name out, her shocked mouth, he had her over his shoulders in a fireman's lift. He walked right down the hall with her, passing Leo, who was just on his way back to see what had happened. Oh my gosh, did Herman bite her? He gasped. Is she killed? No, of course he didn't bite her. 
Cag huffed and kept walking. Then where are you taking her? To the nearest department store. To the yard. Good man. Turn coat. Tesco back to him. Get her a dress, Lucy. I hate dresses. In that case, get her two dresses. You shut up, Leo, she groaned. Ray was standing at the back door when Cag approached. It was his burden. Going out, Ray asked pleasantly and opened the door with the floor. Have fun now. Rescue me, Tess called to him. Say, wasn't there a song about that? Ray asked Leo, who joined him on the porch. There sure was. It went like this. Rescue me, he sang. The two of them were still singing, arm in arm, off key, at the top of their lungs, when Cag drove away in the ranch truck with a furious Tess at his side. I don't want new clothes, she raged. He glanced toward her red face and grinned. Too late. We're already halfway to town. The strangely jubilant mood of his surprised her. Cag, of all the brothers, never seemed to play. Of course, neither did Simon, but he was rarely around. Leon Ray, she'd been told, had once been just as tanktum as the older hearts, but since Dory came back into Corrigan's life, they were always up to their necks in something. All Cag did was work, completely unlike him to take any personal interest in a welfare. Leo could have taken me, she muttered, folding her arms over chest. He's too polite to carry you out the door. He replied, and raised too much a gentleman most of the time. Anyway, these jeans just got broken good. <laughs> They've got holes in them, he said pointedly. It's fashionable. Most fashionable jeans have holes in them when you buy them. Those, he gestured toward the worn jeans, got like that from hard work. I've seen you on your knees scrubbing the kitchen floor, which reminds me. We bought you one of those little floor cleaners that's Specially made for linoleum. Though sending it out with the butane and lumber we ordered at the same time. A floor cleaner? She asked him. It will make things a little easier for you. She was delighted that he was concerned about her chores. She didn't say another word, but she couldn't quite stop smiling. Minutes later, he pulled up in front of the downtown department store and led her inside to the woman's section. Stopped in front of Mrs. Bellamy, the sales lady who practically came with the store. He tilted his hat respectively. Mrs. Bellamy, can you fit her out with jeans and shirts and no boots and a dress or two? He asked on toward Tess, who was feeling more and more like a mannequin. We can't have our housekeeper looking like that. He gestured toward her faded shirt and holy jeans. My goodness, no, Mr. Hart, Mrs. Bellamy agreed. At once, she found thoughtfully. We just received such a nice shipment of summer things, too. You come right along with me, Miss Tess, and we'll fix you up. She took Tess's arm and waved her hand at Cag. Shoo now, Mr. Hart, she murmured absolutely. Tess had the stifled giggle at his expression. She'll be ready to pick up in about an hour. I'm a parcel, Tess thought, and Cag's a fly. She put a hand over her wobbling mouth that she went meekly along with the older woman. Hysterical laughter would not save her now. Cag watched her go with an amused smile. So she didn't want new clothes, huh? They'd see about that. Mrs. Bellamy wasn't going to let a potential commission walk away from her. An hour later, Cag went back for Tess and found her trying on a royal blue and white full skirted dress with spaghetti, spaghetti straps and a sheared bodice. Against her white skin, the sapphire and diamond necklace was brilliant. With her freckled white shoulders bare and the creamy tops of her breast showing, she took his breath away. Isn't that just... Dress just the thing, Tess, Mrs. Bellamy was murmuring. You wait right here. I want to show you one more. Oh, hello, Mr. Hart, she called as she passed him. She waved a hand toward Tess. What do you think? Isn't it cute? Now, where did I see that 
pretty black lacy thing. Tess turned his cag joiner. His face gave nothing away, but his black eyes glittered over the soft skin left bare by the dress and certainly made her eyes bluer. Is it too revealing? Tess asked nervously because of the way he was watching her. He shook his head. It suits you. It ain't matches the necklace. His voice sounded deep and husky. He moved closer, and one big lean hand lifted involuntary to her throat, where the small sapphire lay in its bed of diamonds and gold. His hand rested there for an instant before it moved restlessly over the thin strap of her dress. His fingertips absently traced over her soft skin as he studied her, noticing its silky warmth. <laughs> warmth. Her breath caught in her throat. She felt her heartbeat shaking. The dress, even as she noticed his black eyes lower under the flesh left bare by the sheared bodice, his fingers contracted on her shoulder, and her intake of breath was suddenly audible. He met her eyes relentlessly, looking for hidden signs that she couldn't keep from him. This is the sort of dress, he said gruffly, that makes a man want to pull the bodice down. Mr. Hart, she explained. He growled faintly as he searched her doorway. Don't you know anything about dresses and the effect they have on men? He wanted to know. Her trembling hands would take the bodice up even more. I do not, but I know that I won't have it if it makes you, makes a man, think such things. His head, his hair jerked suddenly as if her skin had burned. I was tasing. He lied sharply, moving away. It's fine. You look fine. And yes, he had a firm, you'll have it. All right. She didn't know what to think. He was acting very strangely, and now he wouldn't look at her at all. Teasing? Then why was he so stiff and uncomfortable looking if he was teasing? And why keep his back to her and Mrs. Bellamy who just rejoined them? Here, Tess, try this one on. I'll box that one while you're dressing. She rushed the girl off before she could say anything to Keg. That was just as well. He was fighting around. A raging arousal that had shocked him senseless. Tess was beginning to have a very noticeable effect on him, and he was quite sorry that he insisted on bringing her here. If she wore that dress around him, it was going to cause some major problems. He stood breathing deliberately until his rebellious body was back under control. He noticed that Tess didn't show him the black dress she tried on, but she shook her head when Mrs. Baron Bellamy asked her about it. She was trying to refuse refused the blue one too he wasn't having that she looked so beautiful in it that was one thing she had to have you're not turning that blue one back in he said firmly you'll need something to wear if you're asked out anywhere <laughs> he had thinking about her in that dress with another man but she didn't date she didn't worry him did he get her some boots jeans and blouses after Mrs. Bellamy rattled off an inventory, he produced a credit card and watched her ring up a total. He wouldn't let Tess see it. She looked worried enough already. Took the two large bags in the dress bag from Mrs. Bellamy with a thanks and hustled Tess back out to the double cab truck. He put the purchases on the back seat and loaded Tess into the passenger seat. She sat without fastening her seatbelt until he got in beside her. He spent too much, she said nervously, her big blue eyes echoing her mood. I won't be able to pay you back for months, even if you take so much a week out of my salary. Think of the clothes as a uniform, he said gently. You can't walk around in what you've been wearing. What will people think of us? Nobody ever comes to see you. Visiting cattlemen do, politicians. We even have the occasional cookout. People notice these things, and you'd look neater and new stuff. She shrugged inside with defeat. Okay, then. Thanks. He didn't crank the truck. He threw a long arm over the back of the seat and looked at her openly. Her barely contained excitement over the clothes began to make sense of him. 
You've never had no thanks. He said suddenly, she flushed, on the radio circuit, when you lose, you don't make much money. Dad and I bought most of our stuff from yard sales, or were given hand-me-downs by other rodeo people. She glanced at him nervously. I used to compete in barrel racing, and I won third place a few times, but I didn't have a good enough horse to go higher. We had to sell him just before Dad gave up and came here to her. Why, Tess, he said, I never knew you could ride at all. I haven't had much chances to. I'll take you out when we would meet one morning. Can you ride a quarter horse? She smiled. If he's well trained, sure I can. He joked. We'll see. After the biggest part of the roundup's over, we never get much done with all the cowboys showing off for you. She flushed. Nobody looks at me. I'm too skinny. But you're not. He protested his eyes now. You're slender, but nobody could mistake you for a boy. Thanks. He reached out unexpectedly and took a short reddish gold curl, bringing her face around so that he could search it. He wasn't smiling. His eyes narrowed as his gaze slid lazily over hers. Her eyes, cheekbones, and down her mouth. The blue dress suited you, he said. How did the black one look? She shifted restlessly. It was too low. Low? What? She swelled. It was cut almost to the waist. I could never wear something like that in public. <laughs> His gaze fell lower to the quick rise and fall of her small breast. A lot of women couldn't get away with it, he murmured. But you could. You're small enough that you wouldn't need to wear a bra with it. Mr. Hart, she lay jerking back. His eyebrows were arched. I've been Calligan for months, and today I've already been Mr. Hart twice. What did I say? Her face was a flaming red. You, you know what you said. He did all at once, and he chuckled helplessly. Shook his head as he reached for the ignition and switched it on. And I thought Mrs. Lewis was old-fashioned. You make her look like a hippie. She wrapped her arms over her chest, still shaking by the remark. You must go around saying things like that. It's indecent. He had to force himself not to laugh again. She was serious. He shouldn't tease her, but it was irresistible. She made him feel warm inside when he'd been empty for years. He should have realized that he was walking slowly toward an abyss, but he didn't notice. He enjoyed having her around, spoiling her a little. He glanced sideways at her. Put your belt on, honey. Honey, she followed into the lock at her side, glancing at him uncertainly. He never used endearments, and she didn't like them. But that deep, rough voice made her toes curl. She could almost imagine him whispering that word under his breath as he kissed a woman. She went scarlet. Why had she thought of that? And if the thought wasn't bad enough, her eyes went suddenly to his hard mouth and lingered there. In spite of her resolve, she wondered if that mouth could wreak the devastation she thought it could. She'd only been kissed a time or two, and never by anybody who knew how. Calligan would know how. She was sure of it. He caught her looking at him, and one eyebrow went up. And what sort of scandalous thoughts are you going through? Are going through that prudish mind now? He taunted. She got her. I don't know what you mean. No, no, and I don't have a prudish mind. You could have fooled me, he said under his breath and actually grinned. Hold your breath until you get another any more apple butter with your biscuits, she muttered back. And wait until you get another biscuit, too. You can't starve me, he said smugly. Ray and Leo will protect me. Oh, right, like they protected me? How could you do that? Carrying me out like a package and then standing there singing like fools. I don't know why I ever agreed to work for such a loopy family. 
loopy. Us. You? You're all crazy. What does what does that make you? He murmured dryly. You work for us. I need my head red. I'll get somebody on it first thing. She glanced at him sourly. I thought you wanted me to quit. I already told you. Not during Roundup. He reminded Maybe when summer comes, if you're determined. I'm not determined. You're determined. You don't like me. He personally upstairs straight up. I don't, do I? He asked heavily. But you're a fine housekeeper and a terrific cook. If I fire you, the others would stick me in a horse chop and hold me under. <laughs> you destroyed the cake I baked for you. True recalled uneasily. And you let your snake follow me. That was Herman's own idea. You shirt her his face. The cake. You know why? I know now, she relented. I'm sorry. I don't know what nice mothers are like, either, because I've never had one. But if I had little kids, I'd make their birthday so special, said almost to herself, smiling. I'd bake cakes, give them parties, and make ice cream, and then they'd have lots and lots of presents. Her hand went involuntary to the necklace he'd given her. He'd saw that, and something warm kindled in his chest. You like kids, he asked, without wanting to. Very much, do you? I haven't had much to do with them. I like Max Toddler, though, he added. The foreman had a little boy two years old who always ran a cag to be picked up. He always took something over for the child when he went to see Mac and his wife. Tess knew, although he never mentioned it. She looked at the one. I don't suppose I'll have kids of my own, he scrawled. Why do you say that? She wrapped her arms around her dress. I don't like the sort of thing that you have to do to get them. He stepped on the brake so hard that the seatbelt jerked tight, and he stared at her intently. She flushed. Well, some women are cold. <laughs> How do you know that you are? He snapped, hating himself for even asking. She brought her gaze out the window. I can't stand to have a man touch me. <laughs> really? He drove. And why did you gasp and stand there with your heartbeat shaking you when I slid my hand over your shoulder in the dress shop? Her body shook. I never! You most certainly did, he retorted, and he felt a wave of delight wash over him at the memory of her soft skin under his hands. It had flattered him, touched him, that she was vulnerable with him. I was, I mean, I was surprised, that's all, she added belligerently. His fingers tapped on the steering wheel as he contemplated her with narrow eyes. Something happened to you. What? She stared at him. Come on, you know, I don't gossip. She did. She moved restlessly against the seat. One of my mother's lovers made a heavy pass at me. She muttered, I was 16 in grass green, and he scared me to death. And now you're 22. He added, he stared at her. Stared at her even harder. There aren't any 22-year-old virgins left in America. Says who? She shot at him and then flushed as she felt herself fall right into the trap. His lips pursed and he smiled so faintly that she almost missed it. That being the case, he said in a soft, mocking turn, how do you know that you're frigid? She was going to choke to death trying to answer that. She drew an exasperated breath. Can't we go home? She made the word sound soft, mysterious, enticing. He lived in houses all his life. She made him want a home. But it wasn't a thing he was going to admit just yet, even to himself. Sure, he said after a minute. We can go home. He took his foot off the brake, 
put the truck in gear and sent it flying down the road. Never occurred to him that taking her shopping had been the last thing on his mind this morning, or that his pleasure in her company was unusual. He was recluse these days, stoic and unapproachable, except when Tess came close. She was vulnerable in so many ways, like the kitten they'd both adopted. Surely it was just her youth that appealed to him. It was like giving treats to a deprived child and enjoying its reactions, except that she trembled under his hands and he'd been years on his own. He liked touching her, and she liked letting him. It was something he was going to have to watch. The whole situation was explosive, but he was sure he could handle it. She was a sweet kid. It wouldn't hurt if he spoiled her just a little. Of course it wouldn't. End of chapter 3